Hello and welcome to this week's Property Matters, a show that brings global trends to an Irish audience to help shape your knowledge of the industry. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your hosts today are, my, are myself, Brian Fox and Carol Tallon. Um, Carol. Well, before we get started, we'll just take a look at some of the bigger stories this week. Um, so from the weekend papers, there was reports that a working group made up of key stakeholders, including the departments of Housing, Finance, Tourism and the Attorney General on board Planola, Dublin City Council and others, have recommended that a levy be imposed on companies like Airbnb and Booking.com to fund the regulation of, sh- of the short term uh, letting sector. So that'll be an interesting one. Also, the volume of active construction sites across Dublin City has plummeted by almost 40 percent over the past 12 months and um, also just in breaking news over the last uh, 24 hours over 1700 affordable homes will be built on council sites thanks to a new allocation of funds from Minister Housing Minister Owen Murphy. Okay and the Rental Tenancy Boards have threatened to take legal action if take the city back protest in its office again take back the city should I say um, Sinn Féin proposed a plan to uh, ban controversial co-living developments and building on Bay Dublin on building Bay could help the environment so they're interesting stories and first up in the studio with us today though is David Jelly David is founder of Property Bridges and you may, you may remember he joined us uh, once before to discuss peer-to-peer lending so David you're welcome back into the studio again thanks for Thank coming you. in delighted to be here and tell us um, well just recap and uh, tell us again what what um, Property Bridges is all about, yeah. Yeah, so we're a peer-to-peer lender. We focus on the construction sector. So we provide finance for small and medium-sized property developers. So anything from half a million to to five million. And we do that through our community of online lenders. So we would meet with developers. We would do due diligence um, on the projects. We would go through a full legal process. And then when we're happy that the project is a viable project and everything checks out, we would advertise that on our online platform and anyone with as little as 500 euro can invest in, in those property loans. So it just, it, it allows um, anyone with 500 euro to mm. invest. It gives people access to the market um, and we provide returns of between 8 and 10%. But if I were to invest 500, how can I trust you that, that I'm going to, uh, that is all going to go right? Well, so um, first of all, there is risk in property development. Um, so we would, um, whenever we do our due diligence, we'd write a credit paper. We would we would upload all of the details of the development online. Um, it's up for the investors to make the decision that, that's right for them. Um, so we would expect all our investors to do their own due diligence, but we wouldn't put anything on the platform that, that we were unhappy with. Mm-hmm. Um, we have strict guidelines. We have a robust due diligence process. So we'd only, we'd, always take first charge security on any of the developments we land on. I would only lend up to 70% loan to value. So if anything does go wrong, um, there, is a, there is a cushion there in terms of the equity that's in the project. Uh, we also have step-in rights and other, other caveats in, in the contract where if things were to go wrong with, with the build, we could step in, we could employ a contractor to finish the project um, or we could enforce w- with the first legal charge. We can enforce the sale of that site and retrieve lender funds. And just what sort of um, I invest five hundred? What do I expect back? So 
between eight and ten percent. Eight and ten percent. Yeah. Right. So right. we we've raised um, almost three million to date, and mm. um, we've done a project in in Sandy Cove, Kilkenny, Waterford, Limerick, Cavan. Um, we're looking at projects around the country, and um, yeah, our investors. I mean, we're we're probably averaging a eight and a half percent return on, on those investments at the minute. Right. And is it regulated? Is it regulation in that? So crowdfunding and and peer to peer is not currently regulated by the central bank. Um, it it will be regulated in time. Um, the industry is growing at the minute. It's, it's a very big industry in the UK. Why isn't it regulated at the moment then? I mean, is it just... Uh, I think the central bank... Slow to the, catch the up, central bank um, maybe are focused on other issues such as such as oh, Brexit. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're also waiting for directives to come in from um, the wider EU. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's... And I think it's fair to say that actually there's just a certain lag period which is to be expected because this is a, a reasonably or relatively new phenomenon, um, crowdfunding. So, I mean, crowdfunding has been around certainly for, what, a decade at least. But I mm. think crowdfunding for property development, so at a slightly larger scale, um, that's that's relatively new. How what In the UK, what, the first one we would have seen would have been in the last four years? Yeah, that, that that's correct. So Zopa were the, the peer-to-peer pioneers. Mm. So they they set up a platform. So essentially where, where peer-to-peer originated, was um, a couple of ex-bankers um, from from Zopa. They were frustrated that if if they get a loan at a bank, they're being charged over ten percent interest. But if they had savings in the bank, they're maybe getting two or three percent mm. interest. This is back in two thousand five. You'd be lucky so, to get two or three percent now. You'd be lucky to get it now. Yeah, yeah, 1%, yeah maybe yeah. You certainly would. So th- they thought, in the advent of, of the internet, that if they set up an online platform and um, removed the middleman, removed the bank, and let people lend to people peer-to-peer and um, that's where it originated and then since the global financial crisis in 2009 when banks stopped lending to businesses um, a company called Funding Circle in the UK started providing loans to businesses um, through their online platform and Closer at Home Linked Finance set up in around 2013 mm-hmm. and then in the UK you would have Lend Invest or certainly the market leaders in the real estate mm-hmm. side um, but there are a number of other real estate providers in UK um, that are focused on different areas of the market. So UK is definitely a very mature market. And we would have set up our platform in line with best practice in the UK. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, was Property Bridges the first uh, the first crowdfunding platform for property developers and, and property builders um, in Ireland? Yeah, so we're, we're, we're one of the first. Um, so Linked Finance are obviously... Um, the, the pioneers in Ireland for, for the peer-to-peer market. They're definitely um, the biggest biggest players in town. And then there's there's a couple of others mm. in SME space, SME financing, um, invoice financing, and and property as well. Okay, and I, you mentioned you've raised three million to date. When when did your first run, found, uh, your first funding round go live? So we launched, I mean, we launched the business in October 2018. Um, our first loan went live a couple of weeks after that. So our first loan was for a single house build in Sandy Cove in Dublin. Yeah. Our second loan then a few weeks after that was for six social houses in County Kilkenny. Okay. Um, and since then, you know, we've been, we've grown our lender base. So we've over 2,000 lenders now on the platform. So obviously people were very responsive to you. Yeah, the, we we're, we're we're blown away by the demand mm. um, that we that we got from lenders. But if you look at it, I mean, there there is a culture in Ireland um, that 
you know, people are very interested in property. Um, you know, you, you can't lift up a paper without reading about about property yeah. like every day of the week. But at the same but, time, people are reluctant as part of their money as well. I mean, I, I'm actually yeah. quite stunned at your success to yeah. date. So, it, well, the property market, it's hard to get access to for, yeah. for a lot of people. And then the, the government as well have been coming down on, on landlords. Yeah. Um, so if you look at ways to access the, the property market, I guess the tradi- traditional route would have been um, owning a buy-to-let property and renting it out. Mm-hmm. But there's huge commitment in that. I mean, you might have to save up a deposit of, of 30%, could be 100 grand. You have, to, you have to manage that property. There's more and more regulation coming in all the mm-hmm. time. So with us, we let people invest from anywhere from 500 euro to 100,000. Okay. Um, we manage we manage the loan from start to finish. Mm. So we don't just, um, the developer would never draw down the full amount on day one. Mm. We would monitor the project as it's ongoing. Is there a time span involved? So it's typically between six months and two years. Have you had any, um, I suppose, have you had any investors cash out of projects at this stage? I know you're only in the market kind of just less than a year. So no, so our first two loans, the term was 12 months. Okay. So we expect we expect those loans to be paid back in around the end of the year. And yeah. are those projects on track budget-wise? Yeah, they're they're on track um, both budget-wise and on timescale. Okay. Yeah. Are you making the banks nervous, do you think? Um, well, I, I don't see it as a, a as a, a zero sum game. Yeah. Um, the banks, I think the market is, is a lot more segmented now. Um, so the banks would still land on, on very large projects. But the space we're in of, of under five million. Oh, yeah. The, the banks aren't really taking much of an interest at the moment. Mm-hmm. So we think, I mean, we think there's room for, for different types of lenders in different segments of the market. That's sure, that's certainly sure. true. And I mean, um, alternative development finance is something that we've covered here on the show before. And typically what we're looking at, say, for the for the home builder's point of view, can be anywhere between 11 and 17 percent. So um, I understand what lenders are getting uh, from you. But for the borrowers, what are they paying? Yes. Yeah, so there'd be an arrangement fee involved um, and, and an exit fee. And that would be that would be market standard. So we look at other lenders, the banks, the other alternative lenders, what mm-hmm. they're charging. And then we would charge interest on drawdown. Um, so the borrowers could be paying anywhere between on the money, um, you know, a, a few percent on arrangement and between eight and 10% on drawdown then mm-hmm. on the funds. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so you're you're kind of coming in, sorry, in the no, middle no. of the, of the um, alternative developers range. Yeah, so we wouldn't be as... Um, I guess as competitive as the banks when it comes to the the, the interest rate on drawdown, mm-hmm. um, but then there's others in the market where where we would be more competitive than. And if a lender say got into say financial trouble six months into a, a year term loan, are they penalised for pulling out, or can they pull out? Lenders, so so they can't pull out until can't the end of term. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But the money's committed at that stage. At that point, yeah, the money's committed. Yeah. Um, so they have to be fairly certain that that this money is that they don't need it. Exactly. So uh, all our lending short term anyway. So yeah. six months to two years. OK. And you've been involved in uh, the provision of social housing or the funding of social housing as well. That's correct. So we've lent on on a project in Kilkenny for six social houses. Mm. And we're seeing a lot of a lot of those projects coming up at the minute. And um, there's a lot. 
um, there's a lot of activity going on in that side of the market. Who's bringing it to you? Is it the, the potential contractor or is it the approved housing bodies or local authorities? Yeah, so it's the developers themselves. So we've, I mean, we've talked to a number of local authorities, um, housing bodies, but it's the developers themselves that get in touch with us directly. Okay, and I know we talked about there, um, I suppose, the, what's in it for the investors. Um, but at this point, do you have a profile of who your investors are? It honestly ranges um, from, you know, we've had a 19-year-old bike mechanic in, in Wexford to a 75-year-old retired doctor in, in Dunleary. Are they all individuals? Um, so they're not... They're not all individuals. So with, um, so we started off pure peer-to-peer platform okay. um, and now that we've proved the model and we've got a bit of a track record under our belt, we're starting to get interest from family offices, institutional investors and that allows us to scale up. So that allows us to um, go after larger developments and to provide a better service to the to the borrowers. So when you talk about institutional investors, that definitely changes the dynamic of a peer-to-peer lender. Mm. So are you referring to um, maybe the investment of pension funds? So well, not not pension funds directly. Um, mm-hmm. So if if you look at if you look at any successful peer-to-peer lender in the UK or, or the US, um, they will. At their core, they'll be a peer-to-peer lender, but they will they will take funding from institutional investors and family offices as well. Um, so, if if we can provide the developers with a range of funding, and as well, we can bring better projects to our peer-to-peer network because we know that we have we have backing, we have institutional um, backing as well. So that, that allows us to increase our capacity, and we can go after larger deals, better deals, and bring that to the peer-to-peer network as well. Okay. But on the on the pension investing, um, we don't speak to pension funds directly, but we are working on um, upgrading the website and and our legals to allow people to invest through their their personal pension. That'll be that'll be quite a game changer, won't it? Yeah, no, we certainly think it'll be a game changer for us. It's it's a it's a, it's also a very efficient way to invest if you know if people are managing their own pension. Um, of course. And it means they don't have to. Some people would would buy properties in the, in their pension. So, with us, um, we allow them to get exposure to the property market, but it's also more liquid, so they don't have to hold on because it's obviously short term. Exactly. Yeah. So, what projects? Before we let you go, David, what projects are currently open for funding at the moment, or do you have any? So, we've just closed on a project in Cavan, and we're looking at more projects in um, Donegal, and Monaghan, and other places around the country. So. We hope that we'll have another project live in the next week or two. Excellent. Okay, so just remind people where they can go, whether they're uh, developers in need of financing or people who are sitting on on any lump sum of cash that they want to get a return of, of somewhere between, what, on average, 8.5%. Yeah. Where can they go? It's very simple, www.propertybridges.com. That's great. Listen, David, thank you so much. And I know it, it was great to get this update now. And what we might do is speak to you again in a few months time and we'll see where you are in terms of the of the pension side of things as well. So that was David Jelly, founder of Property Bridges. Thank you for coming in to talk to us today, David. Stay tuned after the break as we'll be speaking to Adam Malik, head of business development for Equium. Your community radio for South Dublin. This is Dublin South FM. 
And welcome back to Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with myself, Brian Fox and Carol Tallon. Earlier uh, today, Carol spoke to Adam Malik, head of Bural, uh, um, and uh, you can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or email iPropertyRadio.com. Uh, Just to go back, um, Carol did speak to uh, Adam Malik earlier and uh, let's listen to it now. We have the Head of Business Development for Ireland and the UK with Equium, Adam Malik. Adam, you're very welcome. Hi, Carol. It's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you again for, for inviting me. It's not every day that a, a Unisoo top influencer invites you to their show, so thanks very much for having me. Oh, Unisoo will love that plug. You're, you're very good, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, um, Equium, what is Equium? Explain. Sure. So Equium is a technology and services business, and we typically work with commercial landlords um, really helping them to achieve two main things. One is a thriving sense of community in, in their asset, whether it's a, you know, a grade A office building or an out-of-town business park or perhaps it's a, a mixed-use development. And, and secondly, we're really helping to elevate the experience for tenants in that uh, asset. So you know, when, when companies approach us, they are typically either you know, concerned about attracting and retaining uh, tenants or, or perhaps they're just struggling to, you know, really connect with people in their building or, or thirdly, they're just unsure, you know, how do we create a really compelling experience for our tenants here? Um, and so we do two things, Carol. Uh, first of all, we provide our technology uh, platform, which becomes the kind of centralized communications hub for that asset enabling tenants to connect to different services, amenities, experiences, and secondly, providing this kind of engagement ecosystem. And think of this as the kind of the source which enables the platform to, to really thrive. So this is really a combination of content, it's, it's, it's curating a program of activities and events, and it's really helping to enliven that particular space. Okay, and is that would that be you know one platform per block or per area? Yeah, we kind of operate on a per destination basis. So if I think about um, in Dublin, for instance, where mm-hmm. we work uh, on a site called Nova Atria, this is two twin towers. So we have a single platform operating across those two buildings. Okay, and tell me. Obviously, tenant engagement is something that uh, we're seeing only in the last year is starting to get attention. Uh-huh. But you were obviously ahead of the curve on that. So you might just give us a little bit of background about how Equium came to be. Yeah, sure. Um, so, Carol, we actually started as a pilot in a million square foot uh, office tower in the heart of Melbourne. And... Um, the, the landlord there, uh, a chap called Lorenz Grollo from a very well-known family of developers in the region, was really faced with two dilemmas. One was that the Rialto building was, was starting to show its age. You know, it had reached mm-hmm. kind of 25 years of age. And this was at a time when there was lots of new um, kind of building activity in very close proximity. So lots of new shiny office towers going up. And... I suppose the dilemma he was facing was, you know, how are we going to stop our existing tenants wanting to jump ship into those new shiny office towers? And the second dilemma was, you know, how do we really start to understand what people in our building want? Uh, and so what, what they had was a, a spreadsheet of, you know, much like many landlords do, a, a spreadsheet of 72 uh, tenant reps. And the desire was really to try and 
evolve that into some kind of platform or means that they could actually start to communicate and engage with, you know, all 4,000 people that existed in, in that particular building. So, so we, were, we were brought in and we created the first iteration of the Equium platform and, and really turned that spreadsheet of 72 tenant reps into a, a thriving community of some 4,000 people. And between Lorenz and our CEO, Gab, there was the realization that, you know, we are not dealing with, you know, one landlord with a dilemma in a single building in one city. What we're really dealing with here is a global real estate problem affecting landlords, arguably in, in, in every major city across the world. Absolutely. That's really interesting to hear about this being deployed and piloted in a 25-year-old building because actually what, what we see a lot um, in terms of tenant engagement, it tends to be with new blocks, newly built blocks, um, developers who are looking for a competitive advantage um, or new buildings that are looking to give their tenants an increasingly superior um, experience. This whole movement of space as a service, you know, you might have, have seen, you know, there, I, I read there that um, it was referred to as the arms race of serviced offices and of office mm. space. You know, this this uh, quest to get ever bigger, ever shinier, ever better, ever more technological. And I think it's really mm. interesting to see this being deployed as an early solution for an old building and use it to to bring together 4,000 people. So is that done by way of a platform, a mobile mobile first platform? Is it an app? What's the technology? Yeah, great question, Carol. So, so bearing in mind, we started some uh, eight years ago. You know, we, we originally started that journey thinking of it uh, from a kind of web perspective. So we created a, a web platform and, you know, this would be branded to uh, the look and feel of that particular asset. Um, but over the last kind of two or three years, you know, recognizing that, you know, people consume content in different ways. They want to engage with content in different ways. We have uh, launched uh, a mobile app uh, offering as well. And, and, that, and that's really, Carol, just to give people choice. You know, we don't want to um, narrow people down into saying you've got to do it this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we, we want to offer tenants within these different environments, you know, the opportunity to, you know, if you're sitting at your desk and you want to book onto a yoga class, you can do it through the web platform. But you might be on the move and decide, actually, that yoga class that I had my eye on, I quite fancy that now. And, and using their iPhones to, to engage that way. So it, it's really about offering people the option uh, for both. And I think what the, the, the kind of the separate point to this, Cal, is that, the technology on the face of it is, um, uh, you know, a, a kind of platform accessible via these two means. But actually what's sitting behind this is the really interesting piece. And this is the, the data analytics suite, which we've also built called Cortex. And I think what's really interesting here is that you know, a lot of landlords, um, you know, in, in Ireland, uh, elsewhere, have been used to this kind of um, thinking of, you know, the building next door is doing something, therefore we should try it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or uh, we think this is a good idea, therefore let's try it. And and that data that we've been able to start capturing on, on tenant behaviors is really allowing us to move from that kind of world to a world where we're thinking, we know that tenants, 70% of tenants want yoga, therefore let's bring yoga into this building. Or we know that 80% of tenants want Pilates, therefore let's bring Pilates into this building. So really helping 
landlords from move, moving from this world of um, almost, you know, guessing or, or thinking uh, using their gut to a, a world where they're actually making decisions based on real data. Yeah, and so I think I, it's really interesting. It, well, it is, and again, not just making assumptions or worse stereotypes based on maybe Correct. the profile or demographic of the majority of the occupants. Mm. So, okay, you mentioned their yoga, but talk to me a little bit about the the type of content that would that we would find or that a tenant might find on the platform. Yeah, sure. So, if I think about one of our uh, Irish platforms that we have been running since October uh, 2018, so this is, uh, I'm referring to the campus. Um, some of your listeners may remember the campus by its former name, which is uh, Cherrywood Business Park. Um, and so, we were, we were commissioned by the landlord Spare Street Capital to uh, to roll out our platform there to, to really achieve two things. I mean, one was um, to really elevate the experience for, for tenants that work there. Uh, and secondly, to be a real point of difference for uh, Spear Street Capital. And so if you're a, a tenant based there, uh, you'll be able to connect to uh, you know really comprehensive events program. You'll be able to redeem different deals and promotions. You'll be able to you know, connect with other people that, that, that work there. You'll be able to consume content about about the campus as a destination, but also about the broader kind of um, area as well. So it's it's really a combination of things, um, Carol. And do you tie in with any other digital offerings? So, for example, uh, would you tie in, say, with um, transport apps or other maybe energy usage apps or anything else that might be used in the area? Yeah, that's a really good question. And increasingly, we are hearing from both uh, uh, landlords and, and tenants, actually, to have this kind of link up with some other um, uh, news sources or content sources. And, and, and one of the most popular ones that does come up is around travel. So we have done some integrations where we're able to allow tenants to log into the platform and, you know, see bus timetables or see, you know, how what, what the status of the trains are and things like this. And, and it just gives them that extra reason to engage in the platform because they know that if they want to source this information then they do it through the app yeah it's all in one place that's excellent and you mentioned you mentioned cherrywood but uh when did the business first expand into ireland uh well actually carol that that was the first um uh first time we ventured into into ireland we had done you know probably three gosh must have been three or four different trips to the region uh prior to that um but actually, when, when the business expanded from Australia uh, to the UK, which would have been the summer of 2017, you know, being really honest, we, we hadn't really thought about Ireland as a, as a new market. We, we were mm-hmm. thinking, actually, that the UK would, would keep us busy for a good couple of years. Um, yeah. But actually, when Spear Street Capital contacted us and said, you know, we really want your help uh, over at, um, at the campus, um, that site, you know, really perfectly fitted kind of what we're about as a business um, because it's an office park, it's kind of out of town and um, people that work there, you know, they're kind of confined to what is available on that particular park. So if we can really help to uh, make them feel connected to that space and really uh, start thinking about how we curate a program of events and experiences that elevate the experience, it, it really becomes a point of difference then for Spare Street Capital. So, that was back in October 2018. We have since uh, rolled out another site with Spear Street Capital uh, called uh, Belfield Office Park, uh, now called Founders District. 
Uh, and then more recently, we have been working, as I mentioned earlier, with uh, with Blackstone over at Nova Atria. Um, uh, I'm sure many of your listeners will mm. know it because uh, it will soon be the home of, uh, of Facebook. Um, of course. And I'm not suggesting for a second, Carol, that that's the reason they moved there. But <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> all of these things, that, yeah. as you rightly point out, these are points of difference. And we're at a, we're at a stage where actually... Um, Certainly, landlords are looking for these points of difference. They're looking for anything that's going to give them the competitive advantage. And, But again, you know, I, I think there's an assumption that that comes with a newer building. So I think it's interesting to know that actually the age of the building is immaterial, that actually how long established the, the tenant community there is, is immaterial. It's, it's actually about putting the right processes and systems in place for this level of engagement. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think... Um you know, as Dublin continues to be a really attractive destination for for these types of occupiers, I mean, you've got the likes of Facebook, Google, LinkedIn, HubSpot. You know, you know, these types of businesses are starting to look beyond just the space to kind of make their decisions as to whether or not they decide to move into that building. And of course, um, yeah. you, know, you know, I think this is this is this is broadly because office space is is starting to be used as a tool to hire talent and. You know, if, if, for instance, Facebook, you know, if their staff can move into a tech-enabled building, that's really going to speak to a, uh, a new generation of employees who already use technology as part of their everyday life, right? So if you think about, you know, ordering taxis or purchasing food or connecting with friends, you know, why wouldn't you have an app that also yeah. connects you to the, to, to the space that, that, that you're in? And tell me, how would this work mm-hmm. for remote employees? Or, or you know, people who are working away from the from the office as such. Yeah, that's a great question. So, uh, you know, this comes up quite a lot as well, Carol. And um, and so the way the way that it works is that any um, any business that is based on a particular site. So uh, let, let's take again Nova Atria. The, the staff of Salesforce who are based there, you know, they will be able to uh, sign up. Uh, and they will sign up using their occupier email, um, and they will be able to access because everything's in the cloud. They'll be able to access, um, you know, when they're sitting at the desks. They'll be able to access it when they're on the move, and they'll be able to access it when they're sitting at home because they decided to to work from home that day, and they want to know what's happening uh, next week because I want to start thinking about what types of classes I want to book into, or, or, yeah. or seeing what the event program is the week after because I want to know. Uh, whether or not I'm going to go to that community drink that I've missed the last couple of weeks. So it's it's really giving people access um, regardless of where they are. Yeah, and actually that's become increasingly important. We had a guest in on the show recently mm. and he mentioned to us in terms of um, in terms of office fit out and, you know, th- this ever increasing high level of office fit out and and um, the offering that that's involved, that they that employers, contemporary contemporary employers now really see that their competition is their employees working from home. So they actually mm. need, because they offer flexible working and they offer remote working, they find that actually these are points of difference for their own staff to get them mm. that they would prefer to be in the office place as opposed to working from home or from a Starbucks mm. or wherever it, it happens mm. to be. And that was something that we hadn't really considered before. You know, it, it's it's not something that you think of that an employer would be trying to almost compete with the employee's home in order to make a workable mm-hmm. space. Mm. 
It's, yeah, I think that's a, a, a re- really interesting, um, really interesting point actually, and it, it kind of reminds me of. Um, uh, and I was just talking to one of my colleagues about this earlier actually, when, when the CEO of Netflix said that their biggest competition was sleep, and I think it, that makes it, so much really, sense. <laughs> well, it does. It does, and I, I think this is a really interesting um, point that you're raising, Carol. And if we actually think about kind of the commercial property landscape for a second, um, I, I know Dub- Dublin is no different because you've got, I think we were corrupted two sites there. You've got um, Huckletree, another big co-working player yeah. uh, in the market. And, and, you know, companies of all sizes, you know, whether you're a, you know, the size of Equium, whether you're a three-person business or a you know, thousand-person business, you know, one of the reasons that, we work Huggletree, these other co-working plays are becoming so successful is because the staff within those businesses, they want to be part of that community. You know, they want, they want to, they want to go into a space where they have access to these experiences, access to these services, the ability to kind of network with like-minded people. And that, that is the kind of the real competition, I think, for traditional landlords is competing with that kind of experience that kind of uh, offering um, and it's businesses like ours I think which are really starting to kind of um, really starting to help I think an industry which has been so synonymous with tradition right how often yeah. do we hear that the, the kind of the language real estate is a traditional sector mm-hmm. um, and I think you know businesses like ours are really helping to kind of make this fundamental shift for landlords from being so focused on B2B to suddenly being kind of B to C. So moving from being kind of traditional uh, landlords to being sought after um, service providers. Yeah, and I think that's very clear. In fact, I can see that the Equium offering, you know, the value proposition for landlords is, is incredibly clear. But actually, what I'd like to do just before I let you go, maybe, you know, mm. because our listenership is made up of members from the planning, construction and property industry. You know, what advice would you give landlords who might be reluctant to embrace new technologies, whether it's for um, an existing building or for a newly planned building? Yeah, that's a, that's a really uh, great question, Carol. Um, I think where we are kind of broadly is, you know, real estate as a sector is going through transformation. And, you know, this isn't going to happen overnight. Um, and I think the reality is that digital disruption um, is not going to wait for anybody. <laughs> and that's, that's the harsh reality. Um, I, I would suggest that for landlords listening or anyone else listening, you know, doing something is better than doing nothing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whether it's, you know, of course, we'd love it if, if they all came and worked with, with Equium, but there are other things they can do. Maybe they can do them in-house. But doing something is going to be better than doing absolutely nothing. That's great advice. Okay, uh, thank you so much. That was Adam Malik, Head of Business Development for Ireland and the UK for Equium. Adam, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Carol. Broadcasting to South Dublin on 93.9. This is Dublin South FM. And this is Property Matters here in Dublin South FM with Carol Tyler and myself, Brian Fox. So next up is Anthony Slummers, digital strategist and product leader in the prop tech space. Welcome on air to Anthony Slumbers, a prop tech expert from the UK. And Anthony, welcome. And you might just tell us a little bit about the work that you do. Ah, well, first off, can I just say, say it's very, very nice to be involved in this. Um, for 20 plus years, I actually ran a software company developing developing um, services for largely within the commercial, commercial real estate. 
sector. So we did a lot of um, sort of uh, web agency type, type stuff, lots of websites, but, and then lots of um, software products. And for about 10 years of that, I, um, I started a property management soft, software company. And to cut a long story short, so I did a lot of coding for a, a, long, a long time. Um, and now, principally, what I do is I tend to I tend to work independently now. I'm no longer doing um, doing any software development. I'm more doing strategic um, strategic work with boards, um, mainly property management companies, investors, and developers, looking at things like the impact, the wider impact of technology on the real estate sector, and looking at portfolios and what should be building, buying, selling. Etc. 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 And then I so I do I do part, partly that I do quite a lot of writing all at AnthonySlumbers.com, and I do a lot of speaking all all over the place at the moment. Of course, and that's how I would have come come to know of you through your writing. Um, in fact, you were probably one of our primary educators here in the prop tech in the prop tech sector for Ireland. And I think what's really interesting is that. You were involved in PropTech and you were delivering PropTech long before PropTech was was a thing, long before it was popular. Um, so you must have seen some changes. How do you view this new generation of technology innovation that's really transforming, I, I suppose? I mean, at this point, can we call it PropTech 3.0 at this stage? You know, really, how do you see that changes um, in terms of the marketplace that you were in maybe a decade ago? It, it, it's it's very in, in, interesting if you look at it in the, in the broadest sense. In, in some ways, a lot of the a lot of the products and services we were developing way back in like two thousand and one, two thousand and two, were the equivalent of what, uh, for instance, people are calling tenant engagement apps mm-hmm. um, now nowadays. Um, and the, the, I'm, I'm not a huge believer actually that. All that much has changed. There has been a lot of technology, obviously around um, generally, and obviously within the sector for, for quite some time. PropTech is more of a, um, you know, a very useful marketing handle that has enabled lots of people to coalesce under one one banner, and now it is pushing a lot harder than 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 it used used to. But the, the, the reality is, I think that. We're all a reflection of the wider, wider business environment and the wider society and the wider um, nature of technological change. And it's the changing in, in the widest sense of technology that is impacting on the way we live, live work and play. Because essentially, so from, from my property management software company, uh, from 2001 to 2008, so seven years of that, of course, it was desktop only. There was no such thing as mobile. And in fact, there wasn't really any, mo- any real mobile until about 2010, 2011. Mm-hmm. And it's, 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 it's the smartphone mobility and the cloud that I think has really made the difference amongst so many, so many things. So it's changed, it's fundamentally changed the world from one where you had to, for instance, you had to go to a shop to go shopping and you had to go to an office to, to do your work because in the, the, the office, that's where your computer was, that's where your files were, that's where, where 
or the, or the information was. That's where all your colleagues were. That's where everything was. So you had no intention uh, and you had no alternative but to go there. And likewise with, with shops, the only place you could actually procure something, you had to go to a shop to procure it. Now, fundamentally, of course, that has, that has totally changed in that we no longer need to go, we don't, we don't need to go to a shop and we don't need to go to an, an office, for example. So the whole retail market is changing because retailers have to make us want to go to their shops. And frankly, the office market is changing in, in much the same way as landlords need us to want to go to their, their office buildings. Yeah. And that, that in turn has changed the dynamic of, of, of residential and industrial and and the hotel industry and essentially everything because we are we are portable we are we are we are mobile people with a 1980s supercomputer in our pocket with access to all our data wherever wherever we are and whenever we want it and it's that broader change that i think is really really changing the market now and it's got to the point where it's, it's like all um, exponential curves, you know, everything, so the Moore's Law has been going for 50 years, so doubling every computer power, doubling every yes. 18 months to, to two years. And of course, that, for many, many years, that, make, that doesn't make any difference. You know, if you're a tiny, tiny number and you double in two years, well, you're still a tiny, tiny number. And it takes, it takes a lot of iterations before much happens. But we've now got to a stage where things are changing very, very rapidly at a, at a large scale and people's capabilities are changing at a large scale. So the, the requirements for what do I need from a, from a, um, in, in, in terms of where I live or what do I need in terms of where I work, what do I need in terms of where I, where I pay or where I shop is fundamentally different. You know, our whole world is moving to... You know, I do a lot of a lot of um, a lot of talking and writing and consulting around the notion of space, space as a service, which is initially a an, off, an office type thing. You know, like the WeWorks and and the like that you just need um, you procure your space on an hour, a week, or a day, or a month, or whatever. But if you look at it, if you look at it wi more widely, you've got Spotify's, Spotify's music as a service. Netflix is TV as a service. Deliveroo is food as a, a service. Airbnb is a is a hotel room as a service. Well, Uber similar. is taxis as a service. The whole world is yeah. moving to an at a, as, as a service um, di, di, dynamic, and so you have in wider in the wider society when we're all moving from a world where we were really bothered and interested and consumed by acquiring more stuff, more products. And now we're less, a lot less bothered about acquiring more stuff as long as we have access access to, to it. I, but I think and it's that, very interesting when you talk about capabilities, because normally when we talk about capabilities, it's about computing capabilities, where it's actually, you mentioned there, people's capabilities and I would push that further to say people's demands I think people are demanding an awful lot more so I'm I think maybe if we were having this conversation 15 you know 20 years ago it would have been about um, what can what can organisations deliver for organisational efficiency to make life easier for the organisation and yes make life better for the consumer but we were essentially um, preempting what we thought 
would make life easier for the consumer. Whereas now I think consumers are far more savvy, they're far more vocal, but they're certainly far more demanding. And that has absolutely, I think that has spawned a whole generation of PropTech solutions that are being employed here that I feel just wouldn't have even been on the radar 20 years ago, even if the technology had existed. Uh, well, well ab- ab- absolutely, and the, and the requirements come out come out of the technology to a large extent. So, for instance, if you if you look at the history of um, uh, uh, natural language processing and and, and speech recognition, that went from essentially useless to a utility in about six or seven years. So, if you go back to sort of 2000, 2011, 2012, there was about a 30% error rate in, in terms of um, a computer understanding, understanding your voice. Whereas by 20, mid-2015, that had reduced down to less than 5%, and 5% is, is the human level of error rate. So when you look at something like Amazon's Echo and everyone wandering around saying, Alexa, what's the time? Alexa, set a timer for this. Alexa, what's the weather tomorrow? The reason that exists is because technologically it was suddenly capable of of existing. So the technology enabled um, speech to become a a new search mechanism. And similar things have happened with um with com- computer computer vision you know the ability to understand the contents of of photos and videos and suddenly you actually can do lots of things and people just go well why can't i just talk to this thing and say deliver me this or or turn the temperature up or turn it turn it down or uh, or in terms of you know some summoning summoning your um uh, watching videos on on your on your smartphone as you're drive, driving along. You go go back ten years and think of the idea of sitting sitting as a passenger in a car and watching watching a YouTube video. It was like complete sci-fi, yeah. you know. And we we look at it now, and if it if it breaks for more than a second, um, we get really really upset. So it's absolutely being driven by Joe Joe Public, if you like, because. All this stuff is happening in their in their recreational life is realizes that XYZ is possible, and so within the real estate industry, obviously our consumer is then going, well, why can't I have that? But I need you... information now. Why can't you know? I want to yeah. book, I want to book this viewing. I want to see this flat. Give me a video of this flat. Give me a three D. Why can't I have this? But do you not think and then I think that the industry is now caught in this oh my god yeah we've got to really get get with the program get with the program soon because but we don't I, I'm it. going you to have product market fit as it were yeah but I'm I'm going to interject here to say that actually do you not think that consumers were very undemanding of the property industry for a long time because I know four or five years ago when we were looking at things how things could be done better you know digitising elements of the planning construction and property industry and in fact there was a, there was an expectation there that yes people expect um, a more on-demand uh, responsive type service in all other aspects of their consumer lives and yet for property because it was seen as this um, outlier one-off huge implications huge risk um, attached it was seen as actually an 
almost an, uh, an exception to that. So actually consumers, I feel, um, yes, they're more demanding now, but I feel that they were very slow to be demanding of their property service providers. And I think that's true right across the board from people going in, uh, sourcing a property, selling a property, um, how their properties were being marketed, how they how they were applying for finance, how they're still applying for finance in mortgages. And also, um, you know, in terms of their their um, conveyancing and the, the level of, of service and the delays that still exist. Um, from that point of view, I don't think they've been as demanding of the property industry. I think the property industry got a bit of a free pass um, maybe for the past decade or more and so what we're seeing now is a result of that catching up. I, I, I think I think that's, that's absolutely absolutely true and it's a function it's a function of the difference between needing something and wanting it. When you, when you have to have something so I have to have an office or I have to I have to use a traditional mechanism to to, to find an apartment or or a house. Then, you know, I you pretty pretty much pretty much the real estate industry has got away with just um, giving its customer whatever it wanted. Yes. And I think there's always there has been a bit of a resignation amongst the the, the wider public of oh well you know it's the real estate industry it's it's property so you know what what do you expect. And as you say, I think I think things get to a tipping point, mm-hmm. and then the, the consumer goes, "Well, no, I'm not putting up with that anymore." So if you if you take, for instance, the um, the office market, you know, if you talk about good good old WeWork, which everyone like loves to have a moan about WeWork and all, you know, it's all going to blow up and that sort of stuff. But you just think of the difference in perception of what an office is mm-hmm. from now and ten years ago. And the reason that perception has changed is regardless of what happens at WeWork now, they've completely changed the perception of what um, an, an office is. Mm-hmm. And so you've suddenly gone from, you know, one or two percent of people will have ever stepped into an office which was anything other than grey, boring, with desks lined up, mm-hmm. to maybe 30, probably 40 percent of people have been have probably been into some sort of new new style space now, and they go, well, yeah. what you mean an office can be like that? Well, that's what I want. Yes, and and, and, and this is again, you know, we need we need we we've seen this um, particularly on the construction side. We're seeing end users, you know, if, for example, in the data center sector, and um, it's certainly in the corporate office and headquarters. We we're seeing that a lot of these improvements have, of course, been driven by clients. But then, where does that leave us? You know, before I let you go, Anthony, I really need to f- see where because you've such a good perspective on this industry and such a long perspective on this industry. What's next? What do you see as the next wave of innovation that's coming down the track? Uh, you know, you know what? I, I, actually, I actually see the, 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 the industry becoming very, very much like a, like a barbell in, in the sense of um, there, there, are, there are going to be participants in this industry who really embrace technology embrace automation, embrace artificial intelligence, and they're looking at how they can augment their capabilities Mm -hmm. and augment their employees and create a 10x better product service. 
and a number a number of people within the uh, within the whole the wider industry in every asset class are absolutely going to crack this and when they um, when they do crack it they're not going to be just a little bit better than their their peers they're going to be exponentially better than their peers and i think you're going to find in 5 years time there will be quite an upheaval in the value chain of who who um, who's most most valuable with, within a within a sector and i think you're going to get a lot of people moving up and making a lot more money than they they have done but i also think you're going to get a lot of people moving down mm-hmm. and making a lot less money or or actually going out of business because i think I, I, I think of the I think of our industry a bit like the retail in, industry mm-hmm. that there's experiential shopping retailing where it's fun I will get up off my sofa and come and visit your store because your store is fabulous mm-hmm. and it gives me an experience I can't get anywhere else or I will go to your store because it's something I need on a daily basis daily basis and it's really cheap everything else frankly I'm going to give to Mr. Bezos to sort out mm-hmm. so that whole middle that whole middle of ordinary average Average is the bit that's going, going to die. I think you're going to find you're going to find uh, players within the industry who are exceptional, and then players who are really good at the other at the other end of the, the market. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be a whole swathe in the middle that's going, simply going to be simply going to be take, taken out because if you if you really start to use all the technology capabilities that are available to us now. You can serve an awful lot of people, an awful lot more people with the same resources than you can now. Yeah. So the, the, the best are going to hoover up a large chunk of market, market share, I think. And so you get a lot less yeah. fragmented industry. Yeah. And as in all the other technologies, it's going to coalesce around a number of really good, really good brands, basically ser- serving the luxury end and the everyday end, and all the middle will will get t- taken out. So, as I, as I say, not many people are going to be staying. Not many people are going to be in the same position they are today in ten years' time. In five years' time, they're either going to be doing a lot better or a lot worse. Yeah, I I think that's a really interesting point. Uh, in- Quite frankly, Anthony, I think we could talk about this all day. Um, So certainly we're going to have to come back and revisit this topic. But I I would say just really as a final comment there that what you have just said is exactly um, a message that was told to us about the impact of and the utilisation of BIM in the construction industry that essentially over the next five years, the gap between those that embrace it and those that don't is widening to the point that it will be very difficult for anyone to catch up. So I think there's quite a stark warning in there for those um, that are still lagging behind in terms of embracing new technologies for across the planning, construction and property industry. So, Anthony, thank you so much. And you might just remind listeners of your website so they know where to go for lots more quality prop tech information. OK, thank you. Well, you can you can find about, about me and pretty much everything, everything I, I write on anthonyslumbers.com and that's Anthony without an H. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Anthony Slumbers and um, like, likewise, you can find a lot on LinkedIn as well. OK, Anthony, thank you very much.
And that's it from us today. Thank you for joining us on Property Matters, the show where property matters. Get in touch with the show by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com or on Twitter at iPropertyRadio. Okay, we'd like to thank all of our guests for joining us here today. Also, thanks to Shane Flynn, who is on sound, and our producer, Katie Tallon. We're back at the same time next week. Stay tuned for Bowl of Soul, which is coming up next. From myself, Carol Tallon, and Brian Fox, have a great week. Have a great week.